Kings chapter 3, we're in a series called, uh, called Living in the Valley, and uh, we introduced that last week, and we talked about uh, the valley of grace, uh, the valley that when we find unfairness in life, God is there. And this morning, I want to I share a story, and I, I just call this one simply uh, the valley of oh no. And I shared that with someone before the service. They're like, oh, I live there. You know, it's, it's one I think we can all relate to, but it's one where I think there's some incredible lessons we need to learn of faith and grace in the valley of oh no. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning. We'll break it up a bit. And, uh, and, I, and I'll, I'll fill the details because you almost need a playbill to understand who's who and what's what in this. And we'll, we'll do that as we go through. But let's, let's begin in 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to supply the king of Israel with 100,000 lambs and with the wool of 100,000 rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at the time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all of Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab's rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are. My people are as, you are as your people. My horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Simple question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you should not be in? Both hands go up. <laughs> A wrong choice, a wrong relationship, a right relationship that's gone bad. Worse yet, here's the second question. Have you ever taken a bad situation and by your collective wisdom and experience made it worse? I think we should pray at that moment right there. Here we, we find the king of Jehoshaphat who, who found himself in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time in what I call the valley of oh no. It, it's really a tale of four kings, but really it's about one. It, it's about one that, that we're going to study a little bit today to understand how God works, even in the areas where sometimes we find ourselves in places we should not be. So let me give you the playbill. Let me give you the, the characters so you kind of understand the background. There's four kings in the story. One is Jehoshaphat. And uh, Jehoshaphat was a righteous ruler of Judah. He, he's the good king in the story. He's the follower of God. He, he, had, he had reigned in his country for, I think it said, uh, for about 18 years. He was, he was doing things right, but he was related to a king named Jehoram through marriage. They're, they were kind of in-laws in a roundabout way. And Jehoram came from a family that was not so great. You may recognize the son of Ahab and Jezebel. That's why you don't name your daughters Jezebel, who did not follow the way of the Lord. So again, here was a guy who was divided in his devotion to God. On one hand, he would say, God is my king. On the other hand, he was doing things, worshiping things, and causing other people to worship deities that were outside of God, and it was detestable in God's sight. 
There's the king of Edom. We don't know much about him, but he basically joined the alliance with Jehoshaphat and Jehoram to battle the fourth king, and that was Mesha. Mesha was the king of Moab. Now, now everything was going fine in this story until till Mesha, the king of Moab, decided one day that he was no longer going to pay tribute to the king of Israel. Ahab, Ahab had died, and, and now he decided, you know what, I don't want to honor his son. So, so he said, we're no longer providing the sheep. We're no, providing, we're no longer providing the wool. And, and in response to that, the king of Israel, Jehoram, decided he was going to show the king of Moab who was in charge. So he asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to join him along with the king of Edom in the campaign. Now, one of the biggest reasons Jehoshaphat joined him was because they were family. How many know sometimes family can get you in trouble also, right? But there was this connection that there was made there that he felt obligated to go in and, and to help him fight this battle. And it was interesting that, that it was really a clever plan what they were going to do. They were going to march through Edom and circle east through the desert and attack the Moabites where they never thought they'd be attacked from. It was a very unique route if you study the history of it. And, and they, they, they thought they were ready. They had carried enough water for three days uh, to, to, to fill their own lives and, and those of their animals. And they planned to fill their water skins again at a well-watered valley on the edge of Moab. But there is where everything went wrong. You see, there their plan collapsed because they didn't know, because they hadn't done their research. They were before the days of mobile apps with other apps. They didn't understand that there had been a drought in Moab. And that well-watered valley that they thought they were walking into was now a desert. There was no water. There was no life. There was no hope for them. And they literally found themselves where they should not be, calling out because now they thought they were going to die. Look again in verse 9 and 10. The king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. Verse 10, what? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Here's what, Jeho what uh, Jehoram was doing. He panicked. He said, we're all going to die. And oh, it's God's fault. How often do we blame God for our own choices? How often do we blame God for decisions we made without considering him until we found ourselves where we should not be? How often do we blame God for things that, that honestly, we chose? We just don't want to admit that we've chosen them. And it was in that moment that I'm convinced that it's not in the scripture that Jehoshaphat probably wanted to slap the younger king upside the head, and, and, and he finally did what he should have done in the first place. Because Jehoshaphat said, summon the prophets. And let's see what God has to say about this. I want you to put this on the screen. I want you to see this. I want us to learn this lesson this morning. How often we get ourselves in bad situations because we wait until we are in them to ask God what he thinks. Isn't that true? Well, it was a good idea at the time. It seemed right. Everybody else was doing it. We never think to ask God before we get into the circumstance. I mean, just think about it. What business did Jehoshaphat have allying himself with a wicked king of Israel and the godless king of Edom in the first place? Again, he was in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time. Now, let's pick up the story because it gets kind of interesting. It always does when God comes into it. So Jehoshaphat asked in verse 11, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? 
An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, he, he was a powerful prophet that served a powerful prophet. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Can I tell you, you need to surround your life with people who have the word of the Lord within them. You need, you need to be in partnerships with people who have the word of the Lord within them because the word of the Lord never returns void, right? It's always life to us. So the king of Israel and Joshua and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, this is classic, because remember who his parents were? They were Ahab and, Je and Jezebel, not good. He's not doing good. And Elisha said, what do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. He's still blaming God. And Elisha said, classic, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Man, talk about throwing shade. He's like, dude, be quiet. Just, just sit down. You know, if it wasn't for the fact you align yourself with someone I respect who does love the Lord, who's in a place he should not be in, I wouldn't even look at you. But because he is here, because of the righteousness in Jehoshaphat, he said, now bring me a, a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. What? There's no, there's no water. We're, we're, we're dying of thirst here. We're, we're caught in a bad place, and God says, make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and your cattle and your other animals will drink. And this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You'll cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with the stones. And the next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. So get, get the mental picture here. Here's this army. They've been marching for seven days. They've run out of supply. The water is not there. Their animals are dying. They're dying of thirst. And they, they finally come to their senses. They go to the prophet. The prophet tells them to do something that makes no sense whatsoever. But yet, because they're men under authority, they dig ditches. And if you can picture these men, here they are exhausted, dehydrated, worn out, loss, loss of hope. But in their labor, they, they fill the valley with ditches and they collapse. They just, they just fall down beside them and they sleep. They didn't know that in the night, God sent a rainstorm south of them near Petra. They didn't know that, that God was able to deliver them even out of their own stupidity. God, God was doing a miracle because one person there was a man who said, let's call upon the Lord. And literally in the middle of the night, this rainstorm hit the hard red rocks of Petra, and it began to ran, run down the valley to the north and, and literally overnight filled up this valley of ditches with water that came from an area they did not even know or could not see. Now what happens? Verse 21, now the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. They're going to defend their land. And when they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. And to the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now to the plunder, Moab. When the Moabites 
came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled, and the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. There's a lot going on in this story. The Moabites made the mistake that cost them their lives. They, they mistook what we see as a miracle for God as an opportunistic time for them to plunder Israel. And yet, in their, in their zeal from what they could see, they walked into the valley unprepared for battle, and Israel rose up and overwhelmed them. But that's not really the, the, the story that I, I believe God wants us to see in this. I think there's, there's a couple of things he wants us to gain out of this that I want to share this morning in, the, in what I call the lessons in the valley of oh no. And the first one is simply this. God has shown us that we are to avoid bad partnerships. We are to avoid bad partnerships. In life, in marriage, there's things that we are taught in Scripture to avoid that so many find themselves not avoiding, and now they find themselves in the valley of oh no. I mean, think about it. Partnerships and alliances, they can be a source of empowerment, resources, advancement. And when they're good, they're good. But when they're bad, they're miserable. There's no joy. And there's many things that make partnerships bad. I just, I was kind of thinking through from a business standpoint, things I've experienced in my time, and, and maybe you can relate to these, that, that there, are, there are certain ways that, that partnerships are bad, especially with high-level staff, employees, or partners in business. One is partners with vastly different visions and values than you have. You, you can't go in two different directions at once. You've got to be able to have unity, right? Partners with bad morals. Guess what, people? Character does matter in leadership. Can we agree with that? It does. I thought we'd have a better amen than that. I have to decide. I'm sorry. This was just too funny. Uh, I didn't know what was happening. Now I do. It's kind of sad. But one of our members last week posted right before service, no more cool pastors. And I wrote back, do you know who your pastor is, right? I don't know what you're trying to say, but cool is not a description of the character God has put in my life. And it's not a job requirement either. But character is. Here's a third one. Partners whose work ethic don't line up with your own. Anybody been there? Come on. I love this one. Even partners with personalities that are irritating, no matter how helpful or spiritual they are. Because here's the reality. In marriage, business, or ministry, you will end up in the desert someday together. And you've got to choose, hopefully wisely, those who you want to be there with. I mean, I say this to our, our teens and our singles, those that are looking at marriage and thoughts of all that. Can I just speak a truth to you this morning? That, that wavy blonde hair that may have been really attractive on him before is going to fall out someday. <laughs> that curvy figure you admired, it's just going to be reappropriated after three babies in six years. That annoying habit you easily avoided on the dates is going to be with you the rest of your marriage. So you might as well think about that before you get there. I, I speak of character mattering, but honestly, beliefs matter even more so. Here's, here's the truth, and I think we need to see this and recognize it. Be slow to link your destiny in the desert with another destiny unconnected with the same God you serve. Jehoshaphat was serving Jehovah God. Jehoram was not. Be careful who you link yourself in the desert because ultimately you will be there, and especially with someone who does not serve in the God you serve. In marriage, it's so critical. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is a truth that we, we ignored our own peril. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? In my youth pastor days of way back when, we would talk about no missionary dating 
It's not the thought, oh, well, they'll come to Jesus if they hang out with me. That, that's not how you find your future mates. Now, this neither gives you the right or the purpose to say if you're, if you're unequally yoked to get out of it. That's not what it's saying either. In fact, Jesus addressed that and said, no, your righteousness will be the, the light that will ultimately lead them to Christ. But it's understanding as we go into things that we need to think hard and pray before we link arms with anyone. And, and because like Jehoshaphat, we have to ask ourselves, will the ungodly be preserved because of you? Or will you be destroyed or just miserable because of them? So the first lesson is this. We need to avoid bad partnerships. But there's greater lessons. I think these are more instructive to our lives today. And, and these are lessons of faith and lessons of God's grace. The second lesson I want you to see is this, and that is we need to believe for God's grace in the midst of the desert. Believe for God's grace in the midst of the desert. A lot of believers have a lot of opinions about how God, who God is and how God asks. Be careful that your opinion of God is formed in Scripture and not just your friends. There are, there are people that believe this, that God is not in the business of bailing out his children out of their own mistakes. Well, if that's the truth, then I am doomed, and so are you. That he so loved us that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, our mistakes, our failures, tells me that God is in the business of bailing out people who make choices that don't always align with him. But there's a flip side of that that many believe that is equally wrong, and that is that, that we can presume upon God's grace, we can take no care at all to get guidance and plunge from one disaster to another, constantly expecting God to show up and make it right. I think it's dangerous both sides. You see, Jehoshaphat made some really key mistakes. He aligned himself with the wicked Jehoram and the godless king of Edom. He marched his troops in the desert without enough water. He entered unfamiliar territory without taking time to collect intelligence that would have revealed the drought. I mean, you add all this up, and this could be a massive story of failure. It could be a massive story, a deadly mistake, yet God still turned to Jehoshaphat when Jehoshaphat turned to God with an expectation of guidance and deliverance. Here's the, here's the reality that I think we need to understand when we find ourselves in places we should not be. It'll be on the screen. If God will redeem us from the pit of deliberate, intentional wickedness, how much more will he rescue us from the pit of stupidity? I think we should just say, praise God at that moment. Listen, we don't walk perfectly. None of us. We're bombarded with choices and decisions to make, and sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we find ourselves in places we should not be. But can I tell you, in those places, we've got to stop and call upon the Lord. Because I can tell you from my vast experience that when you find yourself in the pit of stupidity or the valley of oh no, when you humble yourself before God and you have a yes spirit to believe for God's grace, He will answer you. He will deliver and He will show you something new about His character that you need to learn. You see, when you seek the grace of God, we need, we need to learn when we seek the grace of God not to do things to compound the mistake we already made. When we seek the grace of God, we've got to stop trying to fix it. I mean, think about it. Out of pride or fear or embarrassment or fear of failure, many times we find ourselves in places we shouldn't be, and instead of reaching out to God, we're just trying to fix it. In our collective wisdom, so often our fixing it just makes it worse, especially when we cover sin with sin. Hello, David and Bathsheba. You can't fix sin with sin. 
You can't multiply the effect of the damage and then expect somehow that you're walking in God's grace. No, we have to be careful that in those moments we find ourselves where we should not be, we seek God's grace and we don't move quickly, especially trying to cover our own sin, much less trying to fix our own issue. It's the young couple that marries in haste out of infatuation or lust and quickly divorces because they realize that marriage is hard. Instead of seeking God to say, build in us a life that honors you. It's the, it's the man who's frustrated with his job that, that finds a little, little hit, comes across LinkedIn, and he, and he hastily takes something, relocates his family, moves to a new location, only find out that job is the job from hell. Now God bailed me out. You see, every decision, every outcome might be different if we sought God's grace ahead of time. If we sought God's favor ahead of time. If we come to the place that we, we, instead of compounding a problem, we just stop and say, God, I'm in a place I shouldn't be. God, help me. I mean, Jehoshaphat could have made some moves to make it worse. He could have attempted to march back to Petra or even attack the Moabites, but his army was so weak that both would have resulted in disaster. Instead, he sought God in the midst of his valley. And here's a truth you need to understand. Get it in your mind. Write it down. And that is this. You are not alone in the valley. So don't act like it. God is with you. You say, wait, wait, God is with me when I'm where I shouldn't be? He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. God is with you. And he's there for us to call upon. He's there for us to reach out to and to, and to call for his grace because grace alone will save us just as grace alone saved us of our sins. We, by faith, reach out to God for salvation. So we've, number one, we've got to avoid bad partnerships. Number two, we've got to reach out for God's grace. But here's the third. I think this is the most critical. And that is we need to learn to prepare for grace with faith. We need to learn to prepare for grace with faith. You see, the ditches that God called Jehoshaphat and the armies to dig, the ditches were not the victory. Nor, nor they weren't even the cause of the victory. All they were were the vessels made to contain the victory that God had in store for them in the first place. And so often, can I tell you, we wait for God to tell us to do these extravagant, crazy, outlandish things. We're going to storm the gates. We're going to rise up valiantly. We're going we're to do this great battle. And God says, dig ditches. And we're like, God, we must not have heard you correctly. We're like Naaman when his body was consumed with leprosy. And he went to the prophet, and he, he'd already made up in his mind how God was going to act. And be careful when we do that. Because when the prophet came out and said, I want you to go down to the river and dip seven times, Naaman got mad. He got angry. He said, I can't believe that's what you want of me. And it took a little servant girl to come alongside and said, you know what? If he'd asked you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more would not just obey him? Follow through. Dig ditches. You see, if they had refused to dig or chose to dig fewer ditches, the victory would have been lost or lessened in their lives. Think about it. Elisha's command was not dig a ditch. He said, no, make the valley full of them. Make the valley full of them. Can I tell you, our faith alone sometimes creates the vessel that God's grace can flow into. But we limit God when we limit by faith our willingness to obey because of things that they were dealing with. They were tired. They were scared. They were dehydrated. Their condition said, I just can't do this. I don't know about you, but I've learned that God doesn't always explain his commands to me. You found that to be true? I never will forget we were in a ministry I'd taken over in the midst of a mess and 
you know, when you're in the middle of mess, finances typically follow that mess. And we're in a place that one day I, I knew a week away from payroll, we were $50,000 short. And I was like, God, that might as well be $5 million, God, because in the middle of this mess, I, I don't know. And God took me to the Psalms and I, I read, he said, in your, in your trouble, call upon me. I will rescue you. Then you'll worship me. And I went to our team, I went to our elders, went to our leaders and said, I, I know you're going to think this is crazy, but I really believe this is what we're supposed to do. And we wrote a check for $10,000 to a ministry that we were familiar with. And everybody looked at me with that side eye like, pastor's going to take us down. And I'm like, no, understand something. There's only one way out of this. And that's by faith we step into the grace God has for us. Can I tell you that next week it rolled in? It, it rolled in like the water's coming down from Petra. It rolled in. There was, not a, there was not a concern about payroll. In fact, from that day forward, there was never a concern about finance. Why? Because we did what God showed us to do by faith. And then we worshiped him because that's so important. It's not about us doing a great thing. It's not about them digging ditches. It's about them having faith to believe that if God said dig a ditch, they're going to dig a ditch because there's a miracle that God wants to do that would not happen if they didn't. You see... Faith and only faith digs ditches for water that cannot be seen. Faith and only faith digs ditches for water that cannot be seen. You see, so often we ask for grace, but we don't respond in faith to the direction of the Lord. And, and, and what we do is we want to argue with God or we want to come up with a better plan because after all, in our collective wisdom, we got there. So, so now we think in our collective wisdom, we'll get out. But can I tell you, when God says dig in the desert, we need to dig. When God says give, we need to give. When God says pray, we need to pray. When God says go, we need to go. When God says wait, we need to wait. Because he knows what he wants to do. And our faith leads to obedience, and obedience opens the doorway to God's grace. It's not that we earn it through our obedience. We just follow through to let God carry out his mission, his plan, when we trust him with all of our hearts. We, we believe in digging ditches around hope. We just do. Can we, when we draw up blueprints that we someday might get to, that's, that's digging ditches. When we don't wait to have all the pieces together to, to act on a dream, that, that's digging ditches when God has given you that dream. Because dreams are ditches to receive the grace that rolls down from Edom. And some of you are hesitant to dream. Some of you are hesitant to act on what God has shown you. Some of you have gotten comfortable in the valley. And you'd rather live in oh no than to risk faith to step out and believe that God might send a rainstorm that you don't even see or hear. It's provide water in the morning that leads to victory. Here's the truth. Remember this. The ditch you dig today will hold the grace you receive tomorrow. The ditch you dig today will receive the grace you receive tomorrow. If you dig one ditch, that's all the grace you can handle. But then when you dig a valley full of them, can I tell you, God does amazing things. It's like this. When you, when you find yourself in debt, then God says, generosity is the pathway out and we say that makes no sense it doesn't unless god's grace is involved with your faith when we say our marriage is over and the, the love has just gone away and god says no you start dig, digging ditches of love and service and acting and speaking into a life believing that god has a better plan we we make room for god to come in you see faith in action is always what starts the rain falling 
Faith in actions, but always caused by faith, the ditches to fill up, and by faith, the enemies to be conquered in our lives. And and then God, the, the prophet said it this way in 2 Kings 3.18. I love this. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever prayed, God, I know this is hard. God, I'm not so sure you can handle this. God, I, I know, I know you, you do a lot, God, but man, this is really big. The prophet said, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. You see, when you find yourself in the valley of oh no, when you sign yourself in the places you should not be, God's there. And he has promised to to walk with you as you keep your faith and confidence in him, as you walk in humility and understanding. It is him and him alone who can can relieve the circumstance and bring you through with lessons that only the valley can teach you because it's in the valleys that our faith is tested. It's in the valleys that God delights in our obedience. It's in the valleys that we just stop and say, God, I can't. But you can. Can I tell you? That's when your faith becomes real. Because when you see the water flowing in, oh, I, I love this. They didn't even see it. They slept through it. They woke up, and they're like, where'd this come from? And they forgot. But God said, dig ditches. Some of you need to start digging ditches for your family. Some of you need to start digging ditches for your kids. Some of you start, need to start digging ditches for your future. There are things that God is speaking you into your life that honestly you can say truth this morning that you're battling. God, that doesn't make sense. God, I don't feel like, God, I'm tired. Boy, that's a common phrase right now. But if these men in the midst of the battle, in their fatigue, their frustration, their failure, had not chosen just to take one step of obedience that made no sense, I'm convinced the story would never be in the Bible. We'd never learn of it because the rain wouldn't have fallen. God in his grace does what we cannot. God in his grace brings supernatural things into our lives when we just act in obedience. They don't write songs about ditches full of red water, do they? But yet they write songs about God coming through. Bringing victory in the middle of what we think is defeat. You know, the story I shared about in the church I was at before and we hit that amazing miracle, God's provision. I never forgot that last statement in the psalm that says, and you will worship me. You will worship me. When it comes, when the water flows, when the ditches fill up with water, Church, you got to stop and give glory to God. You just got to stop and praise Him. And then the next time, seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you as well. That's His promise. You can bank on it. Guys, I don't know what the valley's like for you. We all walk in valleys. The valleys are my stories. The valleys are the places that not only did I discover God, but I discovered His grace. The valleys are the places where faith was tested, where faith was made real. And the truth of our stories is this, because we come through one valley doesn't mean we're not going to find ourselves in another one. But you enter it very differently when the rains fall 
the ditches fill up and the enemy is conquered. Father, I praise you today. God, I thank you, Lord, that, God, there are victories, God, that, Lord, you want to bring about in our lives, oh, God, that, Father, maybe we've given up on. God, there are circumstances, Lord, we've uh, allowed or we find ourselves in. Maybe we can't even, we can't even remember how we got there. But, Lord, we know they're not honoring you. And Father, I pray this morning, God, we learn from Jehoshaphat and we call on the name of the Lord. God, we call for the truth of, of your word, God. We, we call for the power of your promises, God. We, we stand, God, Lord, maybe in our own failure, but God, in that failure, we say, God, your grace is sufficient for me, God. And we humble ourselves and we call out. God, we find, once again, your amazing love that doesn't make sense to us. That we didn't earn, we didn't deserve. But God, you give it to us anyway. So, Father, I speak life over your people today. I speak life over marriages, God, that have hit the wall. God, they need hope. I pray today, God, by faith, Lord, they will dig ditches of love. Dig them deep. Allow you to fill them, oh God. I pray for those, God, that are concerned, oh God, over finance and over direction, God, as we hear the news and we're overwhelmed with the circumstance of this collective valley we're walking in, God, remind them that, Lord, if you will take care of the sparrow, God, if you will take care of the sparrow, if you'll, if you'll have to take a bird of the air to feed a prophet, God, how much more will you take care of us? God, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, I pray for those also today, God, that, Lord, are on the cusp of a decision. God, maybe they've crossed their T's and dotted their I's and done all they can in their humanness, but Lord, they have not yet reached out to you. God, let them stop. Let them stop. Let us call on the name of our God. 